I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at InfoSecurity Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Thad Phillips, who is CISO of Baptist Healthcare, about challenges involving third party security risk. So, Thad, we've been hearing a lot about vendor security incidents lately, ranging from misconfigurations to ransomware attacks leading to some very large health data breaches being reported by their healthcare entity clients. What are some of the top issues that you're dealing with lately when it comes to security of your vendors and other third parties? I think on the vendor front, the the biggest challenge that we're facing right now, and just in general, industry-wise, I think we're seeing a lot of, obviously, the push to cloud with migrations, you know, on-prem data to cloud. That's happening. All the vendors uh, contractually is where I'm seeing it the most with new things coming in. So we're we essentially in IT will will go through and and look at all complexity of anything coming in and security to make sure that it passes the sniff test and some standards before we kick any new purchase or or contractual signing for that to happen. So as we get more and more into that, and I'm seeing more and more from vendors as we move off-prem to cloud, I'm not only seeing off-prem to cloud and having some basic standards in place, which some of this is old news, but, you know, standards-wise, we're going to make some basic asks of vendors. You know, I'm going to want to see encryption and transit at rest at the various TLS, AES levels, that the data is U.S.-based versus heading out overseas. If, and if so, that's managed by exception. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely ask for a SOC 2 report with some detail in it. If we have to sign an NDA, so be it. A BAA, uh, obviously, if there's any patient data moving around. And then also looking at PCI compliance for any kind of financial transactions to that end. And, and then in the SOC 2, I can dig deeper and deeper. So, you know, some basic standards there as we're moving on. But what I'm really seeing is vendors moving cloud to cloud. So if you switch vendors and your data is already cloud-based, what do you need in place to, to make that migration safe to the next vendor? You know, Are you leaving on good terms or bad terms? And if it's on bad terms, hopefully you've got some contractual language on the front end of that that's going to give you the right out to you know, not only either have a successful migration, willing on their end migration, that's not going to cost you a fortune, or if you have to get your data back and then send it to another vendor, um, that that's going to come back reasonably returned to you in a format that you can actually use to your preference, uh, good language to use there. And then the data destruction from, you know, cloud company A uh, that has your data to your, you know, move it to cloud company B, that that data destruction happens, you get some kind of certificate, some kind of validation from that original cloud vendor. Not only that, but if you start looking at vendors in general, uh, the software vendors, they're definitely getting back to being software companies. And the more and more you know, cloud hosted they can become, pushing back to consolidations like AWS, Microsoft Azure, um, your Google platforms. I mean, moving, moving this data out, if they're already using a cloud vendor to begin with, that means they're going to move possibly to the cheaper and, and arguably better vendor, um, which may be one of those consolidated giants that I just mentioned. So as, as that's happening, if you're with one, you know, a vendor that you like and you're staying with that vendor, but they're changing their back end, so to speak, behind the scenes, 
to either save them money as a company. Those are things to look at for sure, because I'm seeing a lot of this uh, come across. And I think there needs to be some, some legal and contractual, you know, some better stop gaps in place on that on the front end. And the conversations with the vendors as they make these moves from one cloud company back into another, that you're, that you're kept in the loop and very apprised of who they're going with. Because I think from a legal front, you're going to still see the software vendor that you're in a contractual agreement with. Who they choose to do business with, with subcontractors behind the scenes is up to them, but you're also very involved too. So you don't want to just let them take off and do whatever they want. You've got to be able to keep them in check the whole time as well and do all that contractually. So that's one of the huge differences, taking it off-prem to in-cloud when, when other people have your data. I think there's a big move there. I think that that the market needs that move. It's not a bad one. I just caution organizations as that's occurring and you're seeing it happen. Uh, it may be for the best, but watch as you're making the steps toward that. So Thad, with that said, when it comes to changes behind the scenes where cloud vendors changing some of the subcontractors or those similar sorts of moves, what are some of the security risks that you're most nervous about? And how much leverage do you have generally to ensure that you know these subcontractors are going to do what you're expecting them to do that the original vendor did? I think the first thing would make sure that for your vendor that you're contracted with directly to make sure that they are doing their due diligence with their subcontractors. You can get them on the hook for that. So if you get a new subcontractor, make sure that they've got, you know, the BAA, anything that's passed the sniff test the first time, you definitely want to at least equal that, if not exceed it with the new contractor. So I would use BAA with that example, you're going to, they're going to need to have a new BAA signed with their new subcontractor. Yours is still in place, but I just, I think that's, that's a, a decent example on that front. And then it needs security. I think that, that organizations should have some kind of a checklist, so to speak, that they can bounce off of vendors for subcontractors and, and make that stick and manage that life cycle. So as, there, as you're with your vendor managing your direct life cycle, you kind of look need to look at some of these subcontractors and some of those life cycles as well. And so Thad, when it comes to the checklist, you know, being that the cyber landscape is evolving, we're seeing more ransomware attacks, we're seeing more cyber attacks overall. Are there certain things that have been added to your checklist lately or that you're thinking of adding to your checklist of things that vendors need to do? Whether they did it before, they better be doing it now. Yeah, I think the major thing that we've added but are going to get harder and harder on is our own internal audit of their system. So, you know, following up on the contracts, if a vendor, let's say we've requested a SOC 2 report in the beginning and we've been with them a couple of years, we're going to go back and cycle through and, and ask them again, hey, we need to see an updated one of those. Try to keep that with the contract if possible. So at any time, if we get into it with a vendor or if there's a breach, we can show, you know, where we are in that process for our own due diligence. So that in terms of other top cybersecurity priorities or projects this year, what are you focused on? The most no-brainer thing that I think any organization needs to do if they haven't yet is multi-factor authentication, obviously, with all the telehealth, the teleworkers the change in landscape there. Um, and don't forget about your vendors. We don't want to leave them wide open on your networks as well. 
So include uh, not only obviously your workforce, directly community folks that, that may be intertwined with yours, but not direct workforce. And then your vendors definitely want to have everyone pushing multi-factor authentication just to make sure. I think you're going to see a lot of moves across the board, moving more and more things to the cloud. Again, not just data centers, but you know, getting into your, your endpoints, how those are managed and moving those to the cloud, some of that cloud configuration as well, which you get back to basics of, of documentation and how to manage your vendors a lot better. So you have to manage them contractually and, and also create that relationship with them on a support structure that, that everyone knows what the other is doing, especially the more involved we get with these larger and larger companies doing all this consolidation. At a local level, getting the MFA basics down, getting these things all solidified, and then also uh, looking as you're pushing more and more out, all the configurations, the documentation that goes with that, the, the management of that is just crucial to do. I think keeping also an eye on, you know, as, as organizations bring their workforces back on site, stay hybrid in some regards or leave people remote. There's a lot of question there. There could be some necessary infrastructure needed to harden security there a little bit more, especially if you know that it's going to be a long-term thing. Some organizations have dropped a lot of money in immediately. Others are waiting to see what's going to happen. And some are straddling the line as usual. So I think that's another big play is, is where does this pandemic take us as things kind of contract with it? And, and loosen at the same time. It's like, which direction are organizations going to take? What makes the most sense for them? And how do we stay secure the whole way, no matter what? So, Thad, speaking of the pandemic, how do you think COVID-19 has changed healthcare sector cybersecurity? What's gotten better? What's gotten worse? What's been highlighted by the pandemic that needs more attention? I think you've got a couple of things going on. You've got organizational workforces that I just spoke about that that are obviously working remotely and are having mixed success with it. I think I think some it just depends on the organization. So I think a lot I think everyone has seen that you can be as productive if not more productive in a remote environment as long as your connectivity is there. That's key. If you can be assured that you're going to be in and functioning properly, I think that's proven itself of value and, and will continue to do so. On the patient front, in terms of, of patient care, people doing telehealth, I mean, that's not something they were used to doing. I think some folks were doing it and doing it to some success, but I think that obviously when you're getting payments to do it that, that are going to stick, then that's much more of an incentive to keep that going, not only from a financial perspective, but also from a patient convenience perspective, if that's the right fit for them. So I think there's, there's definite value in that. And in terms of where it's going, I, I don't know where it's going, but I, I, I like anyone else, it's best guess. But I, I do think that with moves like today, you know, we've got uh, President Biden tackling cybersecurity at a national level. And a lot of that was based on the solar winds pieces and also the ransomware uptick over the past year. I think we've got good federal support coming and they're going to pour it on pretty thick with, with all the, the damage that's been done out there. So I don't, I don't think there's any end in sight in terms of how much more we can do locally, regionally, and as a country to, to make things more secure, no doubt. I've been speaking to CISO Thad Phillips. I'm Marianne Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.